This, this is a moment of rare opportunity because it's, it is a moment of disruption and a moment of rebirth. And it's literally up to us with our, the power of our intentioning to determine whether we will have a better future, whether we will think differently and recreate a world that is more open and collaborative. Welcome everyone to WorkPod Show and today we have with us an amazing guest, Gloria Felt. Uh, she is um, an, uh, an expert, uh, um, an activist, um, uh, a trailblazer when it comes to helping businesses understand the role of women in leadership and in organization. With that, Gloria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Michelle. Happy to be here. So before we start, walk us through your journey. What what brought you to this 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 very important mission in in helping organization understand um, the the gender parity or gender diversity? Walk us through through what brought you to this point. What brought me to this point? Well, it's been a long road. It's been a long road. I've I've been uh, I've been working for women's equality for many years, and I I actually started out during the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And I was involved with some civil rights organizations. And you know what I noticed? Well, there were two things. So number one, I realized that people working together can change anything. That was a big, that was just a huge epiphany for me to see that it didn't, you didn't have to have formal power necessarily. If you work together, you could change anything. The other thing I noticed was that, you know, the men were in all the leadership roles and getting all the credit and the women were doing all the work. And I thought to myself, hmm, if there are civil rights, women must have them too. Mm. <laughs> and so I actually started getting involved in, in several women's organizations at the time. I learned a lot about politics and how to make government work for you by, uh, by joining the League of Women Voters. I started, I was offered a job teaching at Head Start, and uh, I, I, I planned on being a high school social studies teacher, actually. I went to, uh, I, 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 uh, when I finished my degree and had yet to do my student teaching, I was uh, serendipitously invited to submit a resume for the executive director position of the small new Planned Parenthood affiliate in West Texas. I was in Odessa, Texas at the time. If anybody's a Friday Night Lights fan here, I, you know, it's for real. It's really like that. My children all graduated from Permian High School. And I, um, well, I thought, well, I, I have, don't have anything to lose here. I've never had a formal job interview before. So I will put a resume together. I'll go to the interview. I'll learn something. I'm in no danger of being hired. I don't, I've never run anything before. I hardly know anything about this, this organization. And as luck would have it, in fact, I was offered the job. I don't know what possessed me to say yes, because I, you know, I was completely in over my head. But I said yes. I learned on the job. And 30 years later, I retired as the national president of Planned Parenthood. So that's a quick overview of that part of my life. And then I, the next part of my, of my journey 
was to try to figure out if all if, if I'd been working so much for women's equality all these years, how was it that women were still getting only under 20% of the top leadership positions in every single sector? Every single, I mean, there's a huge meta study that was done and that's exactly what they found. They found 18%, 18% in government, 18% in corporate. It didn't matter. That was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And I was, I was shocked. I was totally shocked. And I had to find out why. So I did my research. I wrote a book called No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, in which I ascertained that it was no longer that the opportunity wasn't there because we had opened the doors and we had changed the laws, but men and women, boys and girls were still socialized very differently around power and leadership. And so a lot of the issues that we had to deal with as women were now in our own heads we had to have a better relationship with power, basically. And, and how do you do that? Well, so in this book, I've told women how to change their ideas about power to make it something good in their minds. And then I gave them very specific leadership tools and tips. People started asking me to teach workshops. Mm. And I started teaching workshops. And I saw women have some amazing breakthroughs. And pretty soon... I got persuaded, well, you know, you can teach a lot of workshops and that's kind of fun, but if you really want to make a difference, you have to have an organization. So in 2013, I co-founded Take the Lead. Our mission is to prepare, develop, inspire, and propel women to take their fair and equal share of leadership positions across every sector by 2025. So big mission. And now with the pandemic, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, Women have been set back, some say 10 years. So lots, lots still to do, much still to do. We've made progress, but we have a lot more to do. I think fascinating story. And, and, and thank you for, for, for being a crusader there and helping uh, move the needle uh, or trying to move <laughs> the needle. So um, I think a um, lot of experience. You have seen the industry evolve um, when it comes to even... I think last 20 years we have seen um, at least the corporate structure disrupted, at least the, the business sector disrupted, right? So we have a lot of, lot of rules that came into, in, into existence. And I think um, to your point, the women's uh, leadership roles still sort of hover around the early, either you can call it 20, somewhere it's 10s. It's pretty, pretty early, like in teens, in, uh, if, 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 if we average everything. So what has been what has been your observation? Like why, um, as a society, we have not been able to move the needle when it mm -hmm. when it comes mm -hmm. to providing the same gender diversity between men and women mm -hmm. in in leadership positions. Well, the good news is that we before the pandemic, we had advanced to about twenty five percent across most sectors. So that was good news. That was definitely good news. But I. And, and I don't think a study has been done, you know, it's too early to know exactly how much setback there was, but just in terms of women in the job market in general, uh, there are twice as many women out of work as men right now. So just mm. that alone, uh, you know, it has a huge impact. So we'll, we'll be seeing how that rolls out in the next couple of years. But that having been said, here's 
and then this is this is a tough love kind of thing to have to say to you honestly I, I sometimes I feel bad having to say okay this is it this is the deal here okay women you need to know what power you already have you've been women have been earning 57 percent of the college degrees for two decades now so women have the educational background are prepared and in an economy that's based on brains not brawn hmm. that makes a huge difference the business case is clear companies with more women in their leadership make more money they have a higher return on investment by about 15 percent uh, diversity in general is helpful diversity in general raises the return on investment but but it's very clear this has been you know true for having more women in the leadership um harvard did a study and they found that groups that have been all male when you add women it literally raises the group intelligence <laughs> they don't they don't know why but here but here's what they think and it's not that men are that women are smarter women are not smarter intelligence as you know is is you know across the spectrum it's 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 there's no uh, no, uh, it, it, it's just uh, no, uh, you know, it's not, not gender distributed, but the way women have been socialized, we have had to learn to read the room better. And in fact, any oppressed group, any group that has not been in power has to learn these skills. Those become superpowers. You have to be able to understand what's going on underneath what people are saying. And so that's what they think is the reason why it raises the group intelligence is it literally that that women have been socialized to understand and have more empathy and, and have a better sense of what's actually happening uh, besides what people are saying and doing that they can observe. So uh, they also, women have the power of the purse. Hmm. Women buy or are uh, the deciding factor in 80 to 85% of the purchases that are made. And this is a global figure, by the way, this isn't, you know, this is, mm. this is everywhere in the world. And so are we using that power? No. If we were using that power, we could design every consumer product out there. Mm. We could get exactly what we wanted, but we're not using that power. So the first thing I have to do is I have to help women know the power they already have. We just don't, you know, just don't realize. And, and I guess that's true for a lot of people. You don't, you don't necessarily realize what you have unless it's pointed out to you. And then what I do is I help women change their thinking about power because the historical not narrative of power has been fighting and wars and the assumption that resources are scarce. Hmm. And that if I take a piece of that pie, there's less for you. But the truth is that especially in today's world where innovation and technology are so prominent, there is no finite pie. You can keep developing new things. You can keep innovating, creating. Um, and if you think about power as being like a hammer, you can break something apart or you can build something with it. And if what you want is to build something with it, you think of it as being the power to, not the power over you. Well, all of a sudden I would see women go, well, yeah, I want that. <laughs> I want that kind of power. And once they can see that, and once they know all of these, the, all of the value that they bring, then they, they start to think differently about themselves and what they're worth. And do you know that women ask 
for uh, on average $11,000 less than men for the same job. Do you know that? I mean, the pay gap is 20% more or less. And, and when I realized the, the synchronicity of that, that, whoa, that's what implicit bias does to our heads. That's what the socialization we've had does to our heads. We have to get that thinking out of our heads and understand that we have the value. We should ask for what we're worth. We should not take anything less. And those are the kinds of things then that, that you know, you can, you can teach people those skills. And that's what's exciting. Wow. No, I think that's abs absolutely, absolutely right. So um, a true story. So we used to do a lot of, lot of interesting events um, around data, around data analytics leadership and future of work leadership. One of the hardest um, panel to put together for us is women leadership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's, that's, it's, it's surprisingly. Um, so if you're on the other side of the table, right, you want women to come out and talk and sort of share their perspective and, and give them platforms. It's very difficult to recruit. So, so my, my, uh, so my, my question to you is what, 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 like, what are some of the things that you're seeing in the industry? Like what women could do to sort of make room for, as you rightly saying that it's, it's, it's an infinite problem. It's not a, not a finite resource problem. Mm -hmm. What are mm -hmm. some of, some of your thoughts? Well, I, I, uh, I created in my book intentioning, I created uh, um, nine leadership intentioning tools that help women do that. In the previous book I did, I, I, I called them nine power tools. And this book is, is uh, nine leadership intentioning tools. And, you know, I think it's about how you think it's, it's really, it, these are, these are mindset issues more than they are skills issues. Really. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have to, you have to think, you have to think about it. And the first thing really is to know yourself and know the value that you bring. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are, you, do you know the, the concept of covering uh, both men and women? say they cover in the workforce in other words they don't show their right their right, full selves right, yeah right. right and and uh but women cover more than men mm. both men and women of color cover more than women more than white women mm. and because again the cultures of the workforce are typically not created by them for them right mm. so they're trying it's a mechanism to cover sometimes but the best leaders know themselves. The best leaders know who they are. They know it and they show it to their people. And so I feel that that's, a, that's a, an extremely important and necessary first step for women to get in touch with who they are, what their values are, uh, what do you care about so much that you will, I call it wearing, wearing the shirt. See, I'm wearing a shirt that's one of our, you've got a shirt that has a your your logo on it, I guess. Mm. I have I have one of our logos on it. I want I want people to see. I want them to ask me about it, so mm. I can talk to them about it, right? Mm. And uh, so I, that's where I start. It's really a mindset. It's a mindset more than skills. It's a mindset. And to, once you know your value, and then you can be more comfortable actually asserting it. And I I I, I was going to say to you when you said you had. Um, difficulty finding women for some of your your panels like okay well ask me I can mm. find them for you mm. I know there are plenty of them out there and mm. happy to help because they're there but they aren't as known because you know one of the things that 
also differentiates male behavior and female behavior in the workplace mm. is that men are much more prone to self-advocate mm. and raise their hands and say, I want to do that. Mm. Women are much less likely to, you know, to self-advocate. And that's one of the things I try to teach women. That is a skill you can learn is how do you, how do you speak for yourself? How do you let people know who you are and what you bring that would help them in what they want to make accomplish or what they want to accomplish without sounding like you're just being self, um, you know, just, just promoting yourself in a, a, a transactional kind of way. So these are, you know, this, it's a long, it's a long process, but I really do believe it comes back to your mindset and that the first thing you have to do is know who you are. And once you're solid in that, you can, you can have the courage to, to do almost anything else. Interesting. And if, if say, if I'm an organization, if I'm running an organization, uh, what is my role uh, in, 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 in creating a more inclusive and inviting um, mm -hmm. um, culture that promotes women and celebrates women? Mm -hmm. And basically, mm -hmm. because I think you're pointing uh, out a very important point, women leaders are tend to produce better results for an organization. It's proven, mm -hmm. but still it's so damn hard for many businesses <laughs> to bring them on board because their mm -hmm. culture is not built to embrace. And when your leadership is missing out on that, I think top dollars, it's a big problem. So, so what are yes. some of the thoughts, some of the ideas mm -hmm. that you have for say some, some leaders uh, or mm -hmm. organizations, what they can do? So, so if you look around at the, uh, who's on your executive team, for example, and your executive team is not diverse, then you have to start there because it does come from the top. It starts at the top. And if there's a commitment from the CEO first and then a commitment from the whole executive team, that is super important. And, you know, the thing is nobody relinquishes power, hmm. uh, you know, voluntarily. Hmm. And so it's important not to have people think that they're going to be pushed out of the leadership, but maybe you can make room on a, on a leadership team for a couple more people. You know, maybe, maybe you can do that. And maybe you can also start mentoring and sponsoring women within the organization. And over the course of a few years, as there are openings, you can, you can have them prepared then to take on those higher leadership roles. You can also give women opportunities to say, for example, make a presentation mm. about a project and make sure that women's voices are being heard when, when projects come up, um, do they get a chance to, to be the leaders of the project? And more, equally importantly, do they get a chance to present that project to the leadership team when that time comes? And do they, if you have women on your leadership team and, you know, women are now, almost 50-50 of that mid-management level. Mm. So there are plenty of women who are ready to be nurtured and mentored and brought up into the higher higher ranking level. So maybe there are projects that, mm. you know, you can identify opportunities for women to take on. Uh, maybe, um, you know, when <laughs> when you ask women, what's the one thing men can do? to help them, you know what one word they usually say? What? Listen. Listen. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, so it, it's, it, it, it's, you know, so, the, and that's something that I think it's, that's an easy thing for men to learn to do, but you have to recognize that because, because women have not been the ones in power, they're stepping, they step back and don't necessarily make their voices heard as much as, as men do. So, you know, just take a pause and listen. And that really helps a lot. And I, if there's one thing that women say over and over and over again, mm-hmm. it's that, you know, I was in a meeting, I gave an idea, nobody responded. A man gave the same idea five minutes later and everybody thought it was great. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And so one thing that men can do is pay attention to that. And if a woman has actually offered an idea, you think it's a good one, support it. And if somebody else says that same thing, say, you know, that's what that's what Mary said just 10 minutes ago. I agree with her. I can see that you do, too. So there are little things, sometimes it's the little things that you can do that make all the difference for people. And it's just like, you know, it's the same thing with I think it, it, men and women have the same needs, right? Right. To be seen, to be heard, to be recognized, to have an opportunity to use their talents, right? And and I'm curious, so if, if say... You are a, say, any woman leader who's listening to this or, 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 or watching this and she is she's feeling she is not heard in an organization. She's stuck or, or, or the culture doesn't create room for a woman leader. Like what are, what are some of the things you would recommend or you would suggest to those mm-hmm. wannabe leaders who have the capability but just mm-hmm. cannot uh, get through this, this thick layer of culture which is not designed to appreciate diversity or, mm-hmm. or inclusivity. I believe the world turns on human connections. Hmm. Relationships are everything. And whereas, again, this is a socialization difference. It's not hardwired, hmm. but boys play team sports from a very early age and they learn to support each other. Sometimes they fight it out but they still are friends and they support each other. And girls are more often now doing that, but still not as much as, as boys do. And that's a very important skill to build a network, to build a network and to build relationships. So one of the things that I suggest that women do, and of course it works for men too, but I really suggest that they create what I call a power map. Hmm. And on their power map, they're identifying who has the most power about their career. Who, 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 who has the most power or the person most likely to be able to help them achieve the promotion they want or move up in the organization. And you put that person in the middle of your power map. Hmm. And then you make other circles on your paper and you put yourself how, where are you in relation to that person? Hmm. Uh, do you directly report to him or her? Do you Are you three steps away? Who has that person's ear? Who are the people in the organization who that person listens to and trusts their advice? Who should you be making sure that you've had coffee with? How, how, who should you be sure that you they know who you are? And they know what you do and what you can bring. And so you're nurturing, you figure out where are the relationships on your map that you should spend the time to cultivate. 
And once you've done that, it's more likely that uh, somebody, somebody's in a meeting and they're talking about, you know, we need to fill this position. Well, it's going to be much more likely that your name will be mentioned. And then once your name is mentioned, somebody will reach out to you. I mean, also, don't expect people to tap you on the shoulder if they don't know you want to move up. You need to let your supervisor know what your career goals are and ask for their help in making a plan to prepare you for that. So it's, it's all, you know, all of it really is communication and relationship building. And, you know, they say the, the single most, the single, the single greatest predictor of what will happen to any of us in life is who we're sitting next to, mm. who we know, you know, who we know. That's the single greatest predictor. So the more you can get to know people, make sure everybody from top to bottom in the organization knows who you are, the more likely you will have opportunities. Uh, fair point. And um, in, in your experience in, in helping businesses improve their gender diversity gap or uh, improve their gender diversity gap, what are, I'm curious, what are some of the, some of the, some of the best practices or some of the, some of the leaders doing the right things that, that, that you have seen that you could share? So if, if I'm listening that maybe how to fix it, like who are, mm-hmm. walk, walk me through some of the role models when it comes to leaders mm-hmm. who have really helped uh, fix their problem. Mm. That's, oh gosh, that is such a great question. Um, so, okay, so I'm going to answer that in several different ways. One of them is, you know, there is a huge increase in entrepreneurship by women right now. Hmm. Women are starting businesses at a much faster rate than men and women of color like two or three times as often. Hmm. And what does that tell you? It tells you that they have figured out that if they're, if they can build their own company, they can create the culture that they want. Mm. And they don't have to try to live in somebody else's culture that is not necessarily friendly to them. So I would say that companies that recognize that their biggest competition is now coming, not from other companies for this talent, but from women deciding, I don't need any of that. I'm gonna start my own business. Mm. Uh, the, I mean, that's going to be something that I think in the next five or 10 years is going to be huge for companies to recognize that and, and, and have to make the, have to make the culture welcoming enough that, that women will want to be there. Uh, you want some actual specific role models. Um, you know, uh, Netflix was pretty famous. I, I think they've fallen off the track a little bit lately, but they created a culture book um and they would i mean it it was the the rules were pretty much all thrown away Mm. and there was one rule use your best judgment and uh for a long time that really stood people in good stead because what it said to people is we trust you Mm. you know we trust you to do a good job so simplifying things and 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 really value showing that you value people is really important i mean i can point to some huge companies like for example um i believe um accenture 
has pretty much 50-50 male-female executives at this point. And it's been a it's been a long process, but here's what they did. They said they were going to do it. They use numbers, they track it, they reward, they reward managers for having more diverse teams. And that's, you know, that's what needs to happen. I don't even know who the CEO was who started the whole process, but it's it it happened. The um CEO of of uh Bank of America hmm. is some is a is a man who has who has really taken initiatives on that. And I I I call him out because I've been in the room when he's run when he's won awards mm-hmm. from from organizations that are supporting women's leadership. And I spoke with him at one of them and I could see that he understood the business value of it. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he I believe he was doing it out of the goodness of his heart, but I also believe that he recognized that especially right now with the transfer of wealth from uh, generation to generation and so many women ending up with it, mm-hmm. that for a financial institution to have women in their leadership makes the best of sense in terms of the bottom line. So um, so those are a couple of examples. But I think there, you know, there are smaller organizations too. And sometimes in a smaller organization, it's easier to tweak the culture and to do things that help help people. I did a I did a training called, uh, we do this for my organization, Take the Lead. We did a, we have a program called Creating a Culture of Inclusion. And we conducted this program for a small tech company, about 200 employees. And they were, um, there, <laughs> there were no, there were no people of color at all on their leadership team. And there was mm. one woman who, as always, was the HR director and the youngest person and the, and the least senior. Right. So it was like so classic, <coughs> but the, the CEO made sure that the executives all attended mm. this, this event. And they asked, I asked, actually, I said, I want to do a consulting session, a coaching session with the leadership team before you go into this creating a culture of inclusion workshop. Mm. And they were open to it. You know, they were very open to it. And I've noticed that they have put lots more resources into their HR um, work now and into, uh, they, you know, they have more diversity and inclusion resources that they are, they're um, allocating within the company. And they really have added, uh, you know, as a, as a tech company, it's, it, as you pointed out, it's sometimes harder to find the women and to bring the women into leadership. And they have, they have been making some strides and they're very happy with that. But, you know, one of the things they did was they, they inserted a value of diversity into their company mission statement Mm. and it's a it's it's symbolic it's that's you know it's just symbolic and then you have to live up to it but it it appears to me that it really made a difference for them so those are you know it doesn't have to be the big companies i think i think smaller companies often you can have more control over how you create and how you change a culture in a smaller company so that's a that's a very interesting point so when you're looking at an organization and um, what is that, what is the one thing when you look at it, you say, okay, they're on the right track or, or if not right track, at least they, their heart is in the right place when it comes to fixing the mm-hmm. organization and bringing. So what are some of, which area in a, in, in a business you would think is a great starting point to create mm-hmm. this culture of inclusion on gender diversity? I'm, I'm curious to mm-hmm. 
helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's a really that's a really excellent question because it does tend to happen that a company will put it into a silo, hmm. and but really it needs to be part of the whole company. It needs to be part of everybody, every at least every decision maker's job description. And so that's one of the things that the companies that are successful have done is that uh, diversity and inclusion with whatever metrics they choose to use, um, that becomes part of the, the uh, manager's evaluation. And they're, they're held accountable for either increasing the amount of diversity on their teams or doing certain programs to help people have more understanding of the various different cultures within the company. So anything, as they say, if you can measure it, you can manage it, right? Mm. And if you can't measure it, uh, you can talk about it. And I think the biggest failures have been when there's just talk and no do. So whatever you do, just do it and follow through with it. It doesn't have to be massive, but do it and make it visible. Make it visible and and transparent that people know that you're that you do have that commitment. You know, I think there's also important to, uh, it's, it's important to learn how to have uncomfortable conversations. Hmm. It's important for people to feel comfortable being able to say, you know, that word that you used or that the way you spoke to me, it, here's how it made me feel. And this is why for me, it's a, um, I know you. I know you're not intending to to be um, discriminatory, but when you make that assumption about me, or when you use that word in describing me, that makes me feel. This is how it makes me feel. So here's an alternative way that you could do that, or, or get the same idea across. Mm. I know. You know. Often black women have said, you know, I always get described as being articulate. Well, you know what? I've got a master's degree. Why wouldn't I be articulate? Hmm. Is, is the assumption that because I'm black that I'm not as articulate hmm. as other people? And so, I mean, it's, it sounds, it's, it's one word, but it makes a big difference. And so for us to understand how our words are affecting other people is, is important but if you don't tell me how it makes you feel, I may not, I, I don't, I'm not going to know. And so it's uncomfortable sometimes to share those things, but it's important to share those things. So creating a culture where it's safe for people to share how they really are feeling about how people are behaving or speaking can, can be, make a very big difference in, a, in creating a, a culture of inclusion and, and, and bringing in more diverse people who then hear that the company is a good place for me. So, so, um, <laughs> I, I, so I was, I was talking to one of the, um, she's a CEO, uh, a diversity CEO for a mid-sized company retired. And, 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 I, and I was talking to her about what, what are some of her biggest regrets, right? So what, 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 um, so, so she said, obviously getting more women on the leadership, even in my organization. So I mm -hmm. asked her, what, what are some of your struggles? Like you are a woman, you, if you are the top, you have the top seat. Why is that an excuse that, that, that you cannot do what you want to do? So, so, so she said, she raised a very interesting point. So Ifshal, you know what? Um, we plastered 
diversity, inclusion, equity all over the, the company website, the mission statement, the resume, the job, whatever, right? But somehow I was not able to see them through. Like the, mm. so, the, so these texts look, look to many in 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 many of my um, uh, understanding these these sort of this plastered line look to me pretty isolated and lonely on their own corners in those in those meaningful documentations. While I keep asking, either I get an excuse that either they're not applying either, or or there's a there's an inherent bias in 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 sort of sectionality on the leadership that it's mm-hmm. not letting. Uh, diversity through so so I then I ask her hey tell me about your journey mm-hmm. like you have been able to crack this nut so how and she said I I, I, I moved through my own bubble right so I created as you rightly mm-hmm. said she was connected you have to be connected I, I built my relationships and that helped pave way for me but then when I look back no one no one is using that channel no one came so and, and you you must have seen this in, in numerous occasions. So I think what I'm curious to learn from you is um, if I'm the leader, I'm that leader who understands and, and, and value uh, the mm-hmm. idea of diversity and I have plastered all over my website and my company mission and vision that we want to be for all and we don't see somehow all showing up on the on the leadership ranks. What are some of the some things I could do? First, you can ask people. You know, it's always best to ask the people who are closest to the problem. Mm. Uh, why, why, why aren't they applying? Mm. Why, why? It, and understandably, sometimes people are not willing to speak up. Sometimes they're not willing to be truth tellers. But I've always found that the people who are willing to be truth tellers are the very ones that I want to move into the leadership ranks. <laughs> because they've got mm. that courage they've got that they've got that perspective and they also have the bird's eye view of the whole organization mm. so it's a good way of honestly it's a good for me anyway it's it's a good way of sorting out the people the kind of people that I like to work with because I like people who will speak their mind i i would say for oh, that's an interesting case of the woman that you described mm. and there is a responsibility in my view. And this is, you ask if you could call me an activist. Mm. And this is what I'm going to put my activist hat on mm. because I truly believe that, that every woman who has reached a leadership position mm. has the responsibility mm. to bring another woman along proactively. Mm. And if And if a woman is already the CEO of an organization, I'm just going to say it can't be that hard. It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard for her to identify, say, a cohort of five or six women who could be groomed for future leadership. That can't be that hard. Um, I, you know, I, I, this is, this is where I'm just going to say straight out that, uh, this is the kind of thing that I can help companies do Mm. because in creating a cohort and giving them that, this kind of training so that they do recognize their value. They do know how to speak for themselves. They do know how to tell their own story They're They lose the fear of what might happen. Mm. And you know, women are 
women are socialized to be afraid of things. Mm. Women, are, women are, seriously, I mean, you're socialized from the time you're born to be afraid of things, mm. to be afraid of going out alone, to be afraid of at night, to be afraid of this, afraid of that, you know, well, we got to get over that. We got to get over that. We have we got to grow our courage muscles. We have to learn it's okay to try and fail and pick yourself up and try again. Those are things that you can create training, you can create coaching, you can create safe spaces for people to learn. And if you really are committed to bringing more women into leadership, I'm going to guarantee you it's not that hard. It's just not that hard. Good good to know. So um I forgot to ask, so what is Take the Lead? Oh, thank you. Take the Lead is a nonprofit organization that I co-founded in 2013 with a mission of gender parity and leadership by 2025, to put it very briefly. But we do that by uh, delivering a program that I created based on the research that I did for my books, and which, I, um, as I mentioned, I identified women's relationship with power as being a big piece of that. And then after you, after you know you have the power, there's the next question. Mm. And that question is the power to what? Mm. How do you want to use that power? Mm. What is the purpose that you want that power to achieve? What, what do you want? I mean, we've all just got one life. Mm. What is the, you know, what, what is it that you want your life to be about that you want your work life to be about and that you want to achieve? So that's how, that's the, that's the intentioning part. That's how I, that's how I created the, the idea of intentioning. So Take the Lead has courses. We have online, we have in-person, we have, uh, obviously we haven't been doing in-person for the last uh, two years, but, 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 but we're looking forward to getting back to some in-person, but we've always done hybrid, lots of hybrid courses. Uh, actually, we've, I actually think that hybrid is a better learning, a better learning um, venue that's the best learning uh, solution for most people because it's better efficiency with your time. And yet you get both the value of being in the room together and also the value of being able to use the, the internet to, to, to get more, get more training, get more work in. And, and, and then we, we do the, the cohort building is, is the secret sauce uh, because nobody, you know, nobody does it alone. Mm. And especially for women in the workplace to have a cohort of women around them that they know will support them and they will support each other makes a huge difference in whether they will, whether they will even try to go for that next position. If you know you've got your support system behind you, then you, you, you're much more willing to, to try. So those are, I mean, it's, it's all doable. It's all doable. We have the proof. We know that women who go through our programs in six months, 40% of them have generally gotten some kind of promotion. And um, we've, we've had an external evaluation on that. And, and that's been very exciting. Uh, again, that was pre-pandemic. So we're going to have to uh, ratchet up what we do. But Take the lead. We are a virtual. We are a totally virtual organization. We've never had an office. I'm I'm working out of my bedroom here, and uh, I, I, long before everybody was working from home, I was right here in this in this you know guest room office, and uh, and and that way we can be wherever we're needed, because I train other people to deliver the training, so it's not just me. So we have a very excellent diverse group of leadership ambassadors who can go and do this training and coaching 
Um, I'm not a coach. I tell people I'm much too straightforward. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what to do. I, I, I don't, I'm not good at coaching. So we have coaches, we have trainers, and we also have programs that show women what they can be. So those are our role model programs. Hmm. Um, for example, we have, uh, you know, we will have uh, well-known women who are respected in a particular field. And we've done, well, for, I'll give you an example. We've done two cohorts that we call 50 Women Can Change the World in Journalism. And in those cohorts, we, we will bring in, in addition to the training and coaching they get, we will bring in journalists that they know and respect. Hmm. Um, like, like I had Soledad O'Brien come and talk about how she created her own media hmm. company because, you know, she got tired of having to deal with the others. So hmm. she created her own empire. And hmm. I wanted them to see that. I wanted them to think about that and think big about what they can do. So those are the kinds of, those are the kinds of services that we provide. And we, we do this for companies and we also do these programs for individuals. And one of the programs that I am very excited about that I think is going to be the wave of the future is that we've turned the core curriculum into a 13 module self-study course online. Okay. And we can make that available and companies can facilitate it themselves if they want. They can have no facilitator if they just want women to take it or they can bring one of our leadership ambassadors in to be the facilitator. So that it gives companies a lot of different options, makes it very economical uh, because I don't care how many women they put through the program in the course of a year, they're going to license the program for a year. Hmm. If you can get a thousand women, if you can get 10,000 women to take hmm. it, I'll be happy hmm. because I just want this to get to as many women as possible. So that's that's one of our latest um, programs that's, that we have really, offered. So so I, I was curious about. So you said uh, cohort, right? So so building a cohort. Mm -hmm. So if um, if uh, that's a fascinating idea. So if 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 I'm a woman leader and I'm 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 watching this thing. So are you talking about that I should be building my own personalized cohort? Or are you talking about that uh, as an organization should build a cohort that we should all be part of? Mm -hmm. or, like, I, I'm mm -hmm. curious, what, what do you expect uh, from this cohort? Well, I'm, since I've had the experience of being a CEO of organizations where we were the only one in town mm. uh, or in the state sometimes, mm. I, I know that it's, it's lonely at the top. Mm. It can be very lonely mm. at the top. And so sometimes you have to build your own cohort. Mm. You have to build your own cohort with peers that you feel comfortable with. Mm. So I would say there's that way of building a cohort. And take the lead, what we do is we build the cohort within the company mm. and, and or when we do these programs for the public, they are applica by application. Mm. And so that we try to make sure that we have people who really are the right level and ready to, to you know, to take this learning program. And then we proactively teach them about why they should understand they are part of a cohort mm. and that part of their job is to support each other. And then we actually, with our, with our biggest, most immersive programs, we actually have them do their own 
cohort plan is they do an individual plan, but they also do a plan for the cohort where they work together to figure out a program that they would like to do that will advance all the women in their industry or their sector. That's, that's, so, that's a great idea. I think that's, uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, and thank you for, 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 the, for, for suggesting that. So now let's, let's spend a few minutes on your book. So intentionally, okay. why write this book? <laughs> well, as I mentioned, after I, after I spent all these years talking to women about how powerful they actually are <laughs> and helping them understand they have this power, and I realized uh, the question they have to ask then is the power to what? What do I want to do with that power? And I create. I made up the word intentioning. Hmm. Uh, I couldn't find exactly the right word in the dictionary or the thesaurus, so I made it up. And uh, the reason I made it up is that I wanted to have an active verb. Hmm. I wanted the concept to be an active verb as opposed to a noun that sits there and you know, it's a good word. Intention is a great word, but I want people to be doing something with it, mm. not merely talking about it. So I made up the word intentioning for that purpose. And I wrote the book to help women answer that question for themselves. And that is, you know, that question of the, what is the power to, what, how do I want to use this power to that I have? And I wanted to do it in a way that would, that would give women those leadership intentioning tools so that there are some very specific actionable skills, tools, tips, and thought processes that they can use. And actually, um, I also created a workbook to go with intentioning and it's on my website, gloriafelt.com forward slash intentioning. They can, people can download this free workbook that goes with the book so that they can, there are exercises then that they can do to help them really internalize what they're reading. And I see, I still am a teacher. I, I thought I was, I, you know, remember I got deterred from being a teacher, but I think I'm still a teacher. So uh, I wrote Intentioning for that purpose. Now I started writing it before the pandemic. And at first it was going to be exactly what I just described to you. Mm. I was going to tell women's stories and how they had used these tools to advance in their careers. When the pandemic came around, I realized that I had to teach, I had to do a different kind of a book. I had to enlarge it. It's not different. It's just bigger and richer. I think it's richer. Mm. And then I needed to set a social context around intentioning that took into account the fact that we are in a period of disruption. Mm. And we're in a period of rebirth. And the two are very much related. Very, they have a lot in common, disruption and rebirth. And if we take this moment, if we really see it as that opportunity to rethink, rethink ourselves, rethink our companies, rethink our, the structures in which we work, we can change some big systems that have been very... Un, unwilling to make change. We all know now that everyone could have flexible hours and work from home if, you know, at least part of the time mm. and still be very productive. And so they can take care of their families and they can do their work. And see, see, I mean, 
it, people have had to deal with that. Companies have had to deal with that. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to go back into the office now. And so every company's having to deal with, okay, are we going to have everybody come in full time? Are we going to do two days a week? What are we going to do? But, but the idea is there now. Moments of disruption force individuals and force organizations to innovate hmm. and to think new thoughts, ideas that they wouldn't have even considered in the past. They realize, hmm, you know, I, I have to think about that now. I may have to change. I may have, and matter of fact, this change might be a good change. And, it, you know, Zoom, Zoom was a small company before the pandemic, right? Mm. Zoom, all of a sudden, who's not Zooming? Mm. Everybody's Zooming. It's, it's everywhere. So there's that. I mean, innovation is just rampant during a disruption. And, and so many new things happen. And then... There was, of course, not just the coronavirus pandemic, but there was the racial injustice that has been in our culture forever. But with the murder of George Floyd, suddenly many more people could see, many more people understood the depth of the racial injustice that has been in our society. And so I wanted this book to also take that into account because I mentioned to you that I had gotten my start in the civil rights movement, and I have always believed that racism, sexism, homophobia, you name it, all of these things are really joined at the head. Hmm. You know, they're all a way of thinking that makes some people other, makes, you know, it others people. Hmm. And, and so we need to change all of that. You know, we can, and we are going to change all of it for everybody or else nobody's going to be safe. Hmm. Uh, you know, if, if, as long as somebody is considered the other or the outsider or the, nobody's going to be safe because tomorrow it could be you. Right. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, so, so I had to, I just felt morally compelled to put that into the book. Awesome. And so it, it, it became a richer book. So, um, intentioning. So I, when you when you look at this and, and look at uh, the theme of the book and look at what book is supposed to be, I'm curious. Like, where would the intentioning stand as a word? Is it is it is it aspiration? Is it more towards ambition? Mm -hmm. Like, how, where do you where do you place this mm -hmm. in 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 sort of in in my mm -hmm. psyche of finding a growth? I'm I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So I differentiate between ambition and intention. Ambition is good. You need ambition. Ambition is I hope, I wish, I want, mm. I dream. Ambition is the fuel, mm. but intention takes that fuel and makes it happen. So intention is I will, I am, mm. I see myself already doing it. It's going to happen. It's, ha it's that it's that it's it kind of ratcheted up to another level and and it it, it really it really makes it, it's a different way of thinking about what you're going to do and i think you know the people who are most successful have a lot of that intention they are intentioning they aren't just ambitious they aren't just wishing and hoping mm -hmm. they're doing and sometimes when they do they fail the first time mm -hmm. they pick themselves up they find another way or they learn something new and they keep going toward their goal. 
And that's the difference between ambition and intention. And in the book, I have what I call the VCA method of intentioning. And I, to tell you a quick personal story about it, I, I this has been a, a personal metaphor for me since I took a hike. I was on a beautiful hike in New Zealand, in the Milford Track, which is one of the most beautiful hikes in the world. But I had failed to do some research before the hike. I happened to be terrified of suspension bridges. I freeze up. I know I'm going to die. I'm going to fall into the raging river. I'm going to fall into the jagged rocks. I'm going to, that's going to be the end of me. It's that swaying of the ridge that just, <laughs> like, it just I, I'm not in control. Well, I didn't realize until I started that I would have to cross 22 suspension bridges from the beginning to the end of the hike. And it's one of those hikes that you have a, you have a guide, so you can't go back. Mm. Nobody can go on this hike without somebody taking them along. It's because they keep it very pristine mm. and you have to go with, you have to go with this, with the guide. Okay. So I'm standing at the first suspension bridge. And I feel myself getting that feeling of I'm terrified, I'm freezing up, I'm holding onto my walking stick like it's going to save my life, which of course it won't. Mm. And I'm looking at this bridge and it's waving back and forth. It's a little rickety wooden bridge with little wires on the side. Not, I mean, you know, it was, it was pretty scary. And people are lining up behind me. This bridge is so rickety that only one person can cross at a time. And so I know I have to do something. Hmm. And I finally, I finally realize, okay, here's what you do. You put your vision on the other side where you have to end up. Don't look down at the raging water. Don't look at the sides, the, the rocks. Put your vision on that other side. You have to have the courage to believe you can get across. Just suck it up. Have the courage to believe you can. And then you have to put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. You have to take the action to get yourself across. And I made it across. And the thing is, I never lost my fear of suspension bridges. Mm. But I realized that I could do it. Mm. So it didn't get a lot easier, but it I, I wasn't afraid anymore. I knew... I could do it, but it took the vision, it took the courage, and it took the action. Hmm. So that's one of the one of the chapters in the book is how that's how you that's how you get to this concept of intentioning is you you think about it in those terms: VCA, vision, courage, action. Nice, nice, and and thank you for sharing that personal story. I think it's it's pretty remarkable and pretty re relatable to many of us in some or the other uh, other construct. So. Um, who is the ideal reader for this book? Like, who do you wrote this? Uh, who is the ideal reader that you envisioned uh, while writing this? You know, I don't think there is an ideal leader. In, in, in my observation through the years, there are so many ways to be a great leader. But you, it starts with being who you are. It starts with knowing what your assets are and what your limitations are. I mean, I know that I'm terrible at detail things i you know i will decide we can do something and i'll just say we're going to do it 
I will have no idea what are all the nuts and bolts that have to be attended to in order to make that happen. I have to have people on my team who can say to me, look, <laughs> Gloria, this is what it's going to take. You're going to need this much time, this much money, this many people. I, I won't know that. I, I will never, you know, I will just believe that something can happen. And usually it can. But then there are other leaders who are very good at knowing how you actually construct things and how you make things work together. So you need to know what your strengths and weaknesses are because there's no one person who's great at everything. Mm. There just isn't. And so that's, that's why I say there are so many kinds of leaders. I mean, often people think that you can't be an introvert and be a good leader. And like you said, you, you know, you're, you're kind of an introvert from what you said to me, I, I, I think. But I, introverts are great leaders mm. if you know you're an introvert and you leverage what you bring, mm. you're probably more sensitive to what people are thinking and feeling than those of us who just kind of go gangbusters all the time. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you, 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 you gotta know yourself. Again, that's leadership intentioning tool number one, mm. uncover yourself. Mm. And, and, and so there isn't any one kind of, of great leader, but I do think every great leader knows, knows herself or himself and does have a fair amount of courage to actually, you have to be, you have to be intentioning. You have to do your, you have to be willing to actually act and do things. So uh, thank you for walking us through that. And, 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 and thank you for, for helping us understand the book. So now let's move to the, to the uh, different segment and we call it rapid fire. So basically how this works is I'll, I'll say, a, I'll say a keyword and just let me know whatever comes to your mind. If you want to okay. elaborate more, more, you're more than welcome to do that. So should we should we move on? Okay. All right. Yes. Where? Yes. Go for it. So um, diversity. <laughs> diversity. I see. Okay. What comes to my mind immediately is richness. Um, food. We all love to eat diversely. We all love different kinds of food. So. It's the same way with getting to know people. It makes your life richer and better and tastier. Equity. Say? E equity. Oh, equity, equity, equity. Oh, uh, equity is not necessarily making everybody just alike. It, equity is giving everybody the same chance. Future of work. Future of work is going to be much more much more um, diverse and much more malleable than it is now. Growth. Growth? Growth, yay, I love growth. I love to build things and make things and start new things. <laughs> that makes me happy. I love growth, it's a great word. <laughs> Culture. Culture, culture is that cloud that's around us that you can't see but you feel it and you know it's there and you are formed by your culture and you form the culture empathy 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 you can't necessarily feel what the other person is feeling but you recognize their um, 
their humanity. Future of diversity. Future of diversity. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I think in the U.S., one of the reasons why we're having so much issue around diversity is, frankly, uh, it's hard for some people who have been the privileged to, uh, you know, by virtue of their non-diversity, mm -hmm. to recognize that this world is a very diverse world, mm -hmm. and every country is going to be very diverse because because there are so few geographic boundaries now, and people move around, and and a talent moves around, and companies are global, and uh, uh, oh, I know what I want to say: diversity and divide come from the same word root word. So if you see diversity as a divide, it's a divide. If you see it as a, a positive thing, it's a positive thing. Wow, I think that's- I had to think about that one. <laughs> that's, that's pretty pretty neat. Um, jobs of future. Say that again? Jobs of future. Oh, jobs of future. Okay, jobs of future. Jobs of future. As more and more people are educated, jobs of the future are going to be more um, shaped by ourselves. I think we're going to shape our jobs more by ourselves as to exactly what we're going to be doing. And then leaders are going to have to figure out how to put all those pieces of the puzzle together. <laughs> Future of organizations. Yeah, people aren't going yeah, to be willing to fit into little boxes. <laughs> <laughs> future of organizations. Future of organizations. Organizations. Oh, same thing. I mean, every. I think organizations. And and again, because we're in this moment of disruption, organizations have such a great opportunity to rethink how they are organized and shaped and uh and how power is dispersed and how responsibility is dispersed and uh future of organizations is going to be it's going to be more flexible and um there will i think there will always be a push pull between a big organization the, the desire to have a big organization and yet i can foresee a big organization operating as though it were multiple smaller organizations with a lot of cross-function. Interesting. So thank you. Um, this, this concludes uh, rapid fire. So now let's uh, spend a few minutes. Uh, we call it um, get to know our guest. So, okay. so basically we want, um, <laughs> we ask all of our guests uh, um, to talk about some of the things that has helped them be what they are. Like some of the ingredients that has made them successful. What mm -hmm. are some of your ingredients uh, that, that has really helped you be what you are today? I, I was just thinking when you, before you asked the question, I feel like I've already spilled the beans about everything <laughs> about myself, but <laughs> let me see if I can pull out something else for you here. Uh, I actually think one of the things that made me successful is that something I didn't know that I had. And, and I possibly, I learned some of it from watching my father who was an entrepreneur and he always believed everything was possible. And believe me, he failed a lot, but 
you know, he was just always optimistic and he always just knew that, well, tomorrow I'll do something else and I'll do that. And I, I found out when I had my first executive director job that I have what I call the CEO brain. And by that, I mean, I am willing to accept any level of responsibility in order to have the opportunity to put together the resources to make things happen. And, and, and because I really like, you saw how I livened up when you said growth, right? Mm. I was like, yes, yes, that's, that's what I like to do. And that's, I, I don't, I mean, it, it, there may be something inherent about it, but probably it was because I had grown up in a household with a father who was that kind of brain and that kind of optimist that anything could be done. Wonderfully said. Um, what are some of your favorite reads? So I listen a lot. I find that I can multitask by listening. I can get my walks in the park. I can, you know, if I'm if I'm in Arizona where I live part of the time and I'm driving long distances, I can listen. So I listen a lot and I, some of my favorite reads, I, this past year, one of my favorite reads was Doris Kearns Goodwin book called mm -hmm. Leadership in which she compared different presidents and their leadership styles and skills and how, you know, when they succeeded and when they failed. And maybe one, one of my all time favorite leadership books. I just love that book. I'm currently listening to a book called My Grandmother's Hands. And we've talked a lot about diversity and this really is, this is about uh, it's about trauma. It's about racial trauma and how to deal with it and how to, and it's not just racial, but any, any oppressed group. I mean, it, his thesis is you absorb these things into your body and until you help your body release them, you will, you will have trouble. And, and, and I'm trying to, I can't remember the author's name, but he has a gorgeous voice. So it's so one, it's a wonderful listen just because he has this wonderful soothing voice and, and he literally gives you exercises that you can think about and use to understand where did you absorb trauma? And it may not be, mm. it may be from, maybe from an abusive family or maybe it could be anything, but he, he really points out that our experiences get absorbed in our feelings and our body. And until we know what they are and face them, we won't be whole. So that one is, that's, very different from the kind of book I usually listen to. I'm also listening to Arlen Hamilton's book. Mm. It's about damn time. Mm. Um, she's she's uh, one of the, uh, she's an amazing woman who's created a, a venture capital company that funds what she calls under, not undervalued, but under, like the kinds of companies that people don't recognize mm. could be successful. You know, people who might be overlooked, that's the word she uses. Mm overlooked opportunities hmm. so her her she's really she's really cool she's led a very interesting life and she lets it all out hmm. it's a really interesting book yeah interesting thank you for sharing that so not but, but not the least um if you want something uh, that our listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation what would what would that be what would be your parting thought you know i think my biggest message is to repeat what I said several times, which is this is this is a moment of rare opportunity because it's it is a moment of disruption and a moment of rebirth. And 
it's literally up to us with our the power of our intentioning to determine whether we will have a better future whether we will think differently and recreate a world that is more open and collaborative and diverse and welcoming to people and enables everybody to use their gifts to better humanity or whether we will have go back into a a world that's not so good where there's fighting and wars and and uh, everybody trying to get the best of everybody else. It's really up to us. And uh, that's the message that I would want to leave. It's up to us and our intentioning. With that, Gloria, thank you so, so much uh, for, for being generous with, uh, with your time and for for your crusade to, to helping uh, organization find equality and, and equity and and gender diversity, which is which is, uh, I think it's it's long time coming. And thank you for for um, helping achieve that. And if uh, for our listeners and viewers, if you want to learn about uh, Gloria's work and organization, I'll I'll put some links on the description. So you feel free to check check it out and um, let us know what you guys think. With that, Gloria, thank you for thank you for your time. Vishal, thank you for the opportunity. Um...